In July, we're working our way through the books of First and Second Samuel. We've skipped ahead a bit since our first sermon, so before we read our scripture, I'm going to catch us up on what has happened. Israel wants a king. And even though God knows that this is a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad idea, God sticks with the Israelites and helps them find a king. God chooses a man named Saul to be Israel's first king. The scriptures tell us three things about Saul. One, he's the most handsome man in Israel. Two, Saul is the most tall man in Israel. And three, Saul is looking for a lost donkey. And and while our instincts would tell us that a male model with a background in donkey catching would be an ideal head of state, things don't go so great for Saul. Saul wins a lot of battles, but he doesn't trust God. He doesn't listen to the prophet Samuel, and he's driven by ambition and paranoia. It doesn't take God and the prophet Samuel very long to realize they've made a mistake. So God tells Samuel to find a new king. But this time, it's different. God tells Samuel not to pay attention to his height or his looks because God cares what's on the inside of a person, not their appearance. So this time, God chooses a scrawny shepherd whose own father didn't think him worthy of consideration. His name is David. He will be king, but not yet. For now, David watches sheep and plays the harp while all the big, strong men of Israel fight in Saul's army. But Saul's army has a problem, a problem named Goliath. Goliath is a giant who cannot be defeated. The Israelites are paralyzed by their fear of Goliath, so they refuse to fight. For 40 days, Goliath mocks their cowardice. Then one day, scrawny David shows up on the battle lines to to bring his big, strong brothers some lunch. David hears Goliath mocking Israel's army, and that is where our scripture picks up today. But first, before we read it, let's pray. God of wisdom, strength, and God of peace, we pray that your spirit will dwell among us and we will hear your word to us. Amen.
This is one of the most familiar stories in the Bible, and it's easy to see why. David and Goliath present us with questions that, that every person faces. How do we deal with unwinnable battles? What do we do if we aren't big enough, or smart enough, or strong enough, or good enough to face the things that scare us the most? Well, the world tells us to get bigger, smarter, stronger, and better. When, when life puts challenges before us, we are told to rise to the occasion. If you fear that you'll get sick and die, well, then you should eat right, exercise, and be healthy. If you fear for your kid's future, you should work hard, make money, and send them to the best schools. If you fear people won't like you, you should, you should be more social, wear the right clothes, go on a diet and make sure that everyone on Instagram sees you at your best. But at some point, we realize that we can't always be bigger, smarter, stronger, and better. So then we run ourselves ragged in the pursuit of some unachievable goal and feel terrible about our si ourselves in the meantime. Or we end up like the Israelites, who are too afraid to even try because they know they will fail. And those, those two are different responses, but the problem is the same. We fear what we can't overcome. Those, those fears build. They, they get in our head. They begin to dominate our thoughts. They start motivating our actions, defining our reality, and shaping our lives. To use religious language, it's almost a kind of idolatry where our fears become the God we follow. That, that's certainly how it was for the Israelites. Goliath was, was this all-encompassing reality that shaped every minute of their days. And it's not like they worshipped Goliath, but their fear of him controlled what they believed they could or couldn't do. The entirety of their focus, of the army's focus, of, of their world, rested on this one man. Which is why David shows up and asks the question, who's that Philistine insulting the army of the living God? And you know, that question has nothing to do with strength or power or anything practical. It's, it's a spiritual question about who God is. David knows that Goliath is no match for God, which also so then follows that Israelites' fear is simply in their head. The problem isn't Goliath. It's Israel's lack of belief. So David agrees to fight the giant. And, and David is comically underqualified to do so. David is scrawny, ill-equipped, and inexperienced. King Saul sees this and tries to dress up David like Goliath. He, he puts on all the armor and, well, that's because Saul is, 
is bound to the logic that, that David must meet strength with strength. So Saul tries to paper over all of David's inadequacies and send him out mimicking the one he hopes to defeat. But David knows that God uses weakness to defeat strength. He knows God won't ask him to become anything other than the boy he is, small, innocent, and ill-equipped. David rejects the world's ideas and expectations of what a warrior is supposed to look like. David rejects the belief that he needs to be anyone other than himself. David embraces who God made him to be. And we all know how the story goes. David defeats Goliath. David is, is the archetype of the underdog who, well, slays the giant. And, and we are, are drawn to David because we see ourselves in him. In one way or another, we see ourselves as scrawny, ill-equipped, and inexperienced. We're so familiar with our shortcomings that we believe God can't possibly use someone like me. I'm not good enough. My, my two cents, my harebrained idea, my little offering, it's just not enough to matter. So we then try to become someone who we believe to be worthy, or we sit out the game entirely. But this story tells us us that, that God embraces us for who we are. And not only that, God uses faithful people like us to do impossible things. And, and I absolutely believe that. And I also feel like it's the responsible thing to do to, to add a little bit of nuance. Because this story can be, can be a little dangerous if, if we center ourselves in the story. Like, on one hand, the point of this story is that we see ourselves in David, that we reject the idea that we need to be someone other than ourselves to matter to God. That's kind of the point. But if the story is about us, then it then it reads like a playbook for how to defeat giants. It reads like a promise that if we're faithful, God will use us to overcome the impossible. But there are a lot of stories in the Bible that don't end with the underdog defeating the giant. There are a lot of stories in our own lives where the faithful servant doesn't beat the odds. I mean, take the story of First Baptist Tacoma, a church founded to serve downtown. In the late 70s, they realized they were David. They faced a seemingly undefeatable giant 
when no one wanted to come downtown to go to church. They considered moving to the suburbs and you know, changing to become more like the churches everyone desired to put on that armor. But they trusted that, that God was bigger than the giant of white flight. They embraced who God made them to be. They stayed downtown, and it, it led to their death. Eventually, they had to close their doors. And if David's story is a promise that God will use us to defeat giants, then maybe what First Baptist wasn't faithful enough, or God wasn't faithful enough, or some other explanation that I can't get down with. However, if we center God in this story rather than centering ourselves, it looks a little different. Then the story is no longer a promise that we will be David and more of a promise that God works through people like David. Said another way, we can't be sure that we will be David, but we can be sure that when God shows up in the world, it will be through authentic people who embrace who God made them to be. People who don't run from their weaknesses, vulnerabilities, and fears. When the story is about God, the focus is less on defeating the giant and more on God's presence with faithful people. Because the reality is that not Everyone gets to be David. But when we embrace our vulnerability and weakness, when we're faithful despite seemingly impossible odds, then we open ourselves to be used by God no matter the outcome. So then when First Baptists close their doors, it wasn't a failure or a lack of faithfulness. It was actually the opposite. It was a group of people recognizing their limits, letting go of how things had always been done and what the world expected out of a big downtown church and allowing God to continue using them to create a new community that would continue to find God at work in those who the world rejected. And, I mean, we tell it often, but that's the story of our church. And it's my hope for us as a church and as individuals that, that when we face those moments that seem just impossibly hard, when we feel ill-equipped and inexperienced, when the things we fear begin to, to get in our head and become our all-consuming reality that drives us, that, that in those moments we'll remember that, that our God is not the God of common sense who chooses the likely suspects. Our God 
is the God who asked a poor unmarried girl to bear divinity into the world. Our God arrived as a vulnerable child in need of protection and nurture. Our God was was made known through a day laborer turned teacher whose friends were fishermen, crooks, and sex workers. Our God gave life and liberation through weakness, humiliation, and death. Our God is the God who brings salvation through scrawny, ill-equipped, inexperienced people just like you and me.